so we're lucky tonight to have Matt Loy from, Suns, uh, from the Sunset, Bible, uh, Sunset International Bible Institute. I can never get that said right. Um, from Lubbock is going to be here speaking to us on the work that we're partnering with him there. We've been partnering with Matt since 2016. Is that right? Uh, Matt at Sunset teaches uh, the Book of Acts, the Scheme of Redemption, Evangelism, and a few other courses there. Uh, along, his wife is there in Lubbock with him, along with his two kids, Wyatt and Kaylee, who, just so you all know, Matt had a great month last, I think it was last month, where both of his children were baptized on the same night. So, Matt, come tell us about the work you're doing. Oh. Well, I tell you, it is so great to be here. It always is. And yes, I will have to admit that uh, when your two children end up baptized on the same night, it is certainly a cause for rejoicing. We uh, got home from church one Wednesday night not expecting that, and my daughter kind of decided she needed to have an intervention with her parents. And so she sits us down to talk, and she says, I'm concerned. And my son says, yeah, I have been too, when she starts talking, which led to a time of discussion, and we went back in, and uh, we baptized them both that night. So that was awesome. And, but man, it is great to be here. We always enjoy coming down here, and if it weren't for just the busyness of life, my family would be with me, because we always like to come as a family here. Well, for those of you that don't know me, I'll just very briefly introduce myself and a little bit about what I do and then give some updates about some of the things that have been happening that, uh, that are, are just really exciting for me to share. For those of you who have not met me before, and I know there's always people here who probably have not, I am an instructor at Sunset International Bible Institute in Lubbock. This next slide has got a list of the classes on it that I teach. I teach the book of Acts and the scheme of redemption. I teach our New Testament church course, our hermeneutics course, uh, working in partnership with another, another guy. I co-teach a couple of evangelism courses and then do several of our preaching classes, our practical preacher training classes with, uh, that we have every day. Now, one of the questions that I get asked whenever I go out and talk about this stuff is, well, Matt, how many students do you have? Well, this year, our president was kind enough to put all these numbers in his fall newsletter, so I stole them and made a slide out of them so that I could show you how many students we have, because even I didn't know until he put that out there with all the variation of, of, of the different classes and who is taking this class but not this one or whatever. This gives you an idea, a snapshot of about how many students we have both on campus and who are active in the various online programs that we offer. So that's the teaching side of things, and it gives you a little bit of a picture of, of what we have for students. Another thing that I do with, uh, with Sunset is we have a future preacher training camp. And I know some of you have probably been involved in these or are aware of these, but we started this just a few years back, and they tasked me with getting it going, and that has just exploded. We have found a ton of interest in this concept, and one of the things that we, we maxed out our enrollment, we take every year 
the maximum number of students that we even have room for. And we've decided that our only way to grow this thing any beyond what it already is, is we're going to have to branch it out to other locations. And so we have some, some of our graduates who are looking at starting a Camp Apollos in the northwestern United States, one in the northeastern United States, and who knows, maybe Central Texas needs one. I'm just saying. <laughs> Another thing that I do, and this is something I've done from the beginning, even before I was a teacher, I, in my role, I'm always looking for evangelism opportunities in ways that we can help instill some practical learning about evangelism in the hearts and minds of our students. Well, a few years ago, I started also doing this inside of the, the, the context of the, of the Sunset Church. And in doing that, it's given me an opportunity to, and, and us, an opportunity to look for more evangelistic efforts in the city of Lubbock that we can do and allow the students on an ongoing basis to get their hands on it and do it. And so we continue to find more and more things that we're able to do this with. Now, I see you all had a trunk or treat last night, so you're familiar with what these are. Last year at our trunk or treat, we set up a, a prayer tent. And the group that the team that we had working this prayer tent, we made over 90 contacts with people from the community that needed prayers. And we got their information and we went and visited them. We offered them a free World Bible School Bible. And just this past week, Somebody who had made contact with one of these contacts received a text message, and the text message said, hey, I was wondering if I could still get that Bible. We never got together on that, and I'd like to get that if I could. And he said, also, I have a question. What does it mean for me to get right with God? We're 11 months removed from last year's trunk or treat. And now, as of yesterday, and I haven't heard how this went, but a colleague of mine studied yesterday with the whole family. He set up a study, got him his Bible, and studied with the whole family. You know, we talk about casting seed. We really don't know where it's going and what might happen. But there's an example of just a seed thrown out there 11 months ago. And look what can happen. We have no idea what our efforts might do. But anyway, that was really neat, really neat to see that. There's other things that, that we do, a lot of other opportunities. We have a preschool that we're able to work with where the majority of those, uh, of those kids are unchurched, and we're able to provide multiple contact points throughout the year. And so we've got all kinds of opportunities like that for people to, to get for students to get their hands on the work of evangelism and learn ways that they can get that constant drumbeat going year, throughout a whole year in a congregational setting. Another thing that I do is I coordinate some of our campaigns, and very quickly before I move into our lesson, just a quick update there. This year, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was involved in a gospel meeting in Dover, Arkansas, and the entire town was invited door to door. We got 
uh, invite information personally handed to everybody in that little town, and it proved to be effective. They had quite a few visitors for that meeting and made some good contacts to follow up with through that. Next year, or this coming year, it'll be in the 2024 calendar year, we're going to actually work in Lubbock. And what we're going to do this year, instead of what we might think of as a conventional campaign where we would go out into a neighborhood and just knock doors, we're going to do something different every day. There will be some of that where we go door to door. That'll be part of it. But we have a homeless shelter in Lubbock. And we're going to go into that homeless shelter and we're going to preach the gospel to the homeless. And we're going to work within that kind of a context. We have all kinds of visitors and wayward members within the Sunset Church alone. And we're going to spend a day making, reaching out to people that way and reaching out to those who maybe are wayward. Because these are things that you encounter from a practical perspective when you enter into ministry. And so we want to provide something locally that will give opportunity for people to kind of get their feet wet with something like that. So it's still in the planning stages, but I think uh, that's looking like what's on deck for, for 2024. And you know, as we, as we do what we do with evangelism and whatever, it doesn't take long, and I know I'm not telling anybody here, it's a hurting, dying world. And it just underscores the need for works like this and other works that all of you all are involved with. All of these things are, are so needed. But they're more than just needed. These things are vital to life. Because without them, everyone is facing certain doom. And we're aware of that. And so... I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to Westside for your dedication to the gospel and your partnership with me in it to help reach souls and rescue souls from darkness. But most of all, thank you all for your own dedication to the gospel. On the afternoon of July 6th, 1881, heavy thunderstorms brought about a flash flood at Honey Creek, a small tributary of the Des Moines River in Boone County, Iowa. The floodwaters washed out timbers that had been supporting the trestle bridge that was across that tributary. Well, unaware of the washed out supports, Around 11 o'clock that night, a locomotive was sent out to check the track conditions in the still stormy weather, and they ended up plunging into Honey Creek as more of that bridge continued to fall apart. A 17-year-old girl named Kate Shelley heard the crash of the locomotive after it plummeted into the overflowing water and she grabbed her late father's railroad lantern to light her way, and she raced to the site of that washed-out bridge. Well, two of the locomotive's four crew members had managed to climb up into the branches of a large tree that was nearby. 
there was no sign of the other two. Well, Kate, realizing that the men who were in the tree were not able to climb down, she yelled up to them that she would get help. But Kate's race for help took on a whole new level of urgency after it dawned on her that an eastbound passenger train traveling from Omaha was scheduled to pass through the area at about midnight. And unless she could get to the depot that was on the other side of the Des Moines River in the small little town of Moingona in time to warn the personnel about the collapsed bridge, there would be a far much worse situation at Honey Creek. Well, to reach the depot, Kate had to trudge along the tracks as fast as she could, despite the strong showers and thunderstorms that were continuing in the winds. And by the time she arrived at the bridge that crosses the Des Moines River, the lantern went out because of the downpour of this rain. And so Kate was forced to fall to her hands and knees and crawl across that bridge in pure darkness with exception of the lightning that occasionally flashed. And somehow she managed to keep her composure despite the raging river that was below her and the sharp splinters from the railroad ties that continued to dig into her skin. Well, after completing the huge crawl across this bridge, she got back up on her feet and she still had a mile to run along the tracks to get to the depot and it was uphill the whole way. Well, when she arrived at the depot, Kate shouted out the news about the dangerous situation at Honey Creek and then she fainted. She had arrived just in time for the people at the Moingona Depot to be able to alert another depot along the route and stop the train carrying that night approximately 200 people on board from traveling any further. She was a hero. You see, Kate Shelley was aware of the certain doom that would have resulted in her failure to act. She got the word out where necessary to save the lives of as many people as possible. All of humanity faces peril without the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know what lies ahead without it because God's word makes it clear. Turn with me if you've got your Bibles. I'd like to invite you to Romans chapter 1 this evening. In Romans 1, we see that Paul understood this clearly. Paul understood what humanity faced apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knew the situation of humanity. Look at, beginning in about verse 18 of chapter 1. Look at what Paul observes here. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. 
For since the creation of the world is invisible attributes, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that which they, that has been made, therefore they are without excuse. Now we could read the rest of this, and I encourage you to do this. If you read the rest of this text through chapter 1 out loud to yourself, you could almost think you were reading the news headlines from 2023. It is that stark. It shows the condition of humanity without God. That's what's in this text, and that's what Paul writes, and it isn't a good situation. And we go on to read, obviously, from Romans that the wages of sin is death. We learn that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to put the two together and come to the conclusion that all are dead. All of humanity is facing certain death without the gospel. And because Paul realized this, it shapes his dedication toward getting the gospel to as many people as humanly possible. And the way Paul sees this is the way we must see it. And so tonight, I want to take notice of some key things that we see in Romans chapter 1, back up in verses 14 through 17, that will hopefully shape our dedication to the gospel so that we'll be more inspired to do whatever we can to help as many people as possible avoid the certain doom that they would face without it. Let's read those three verses together quickly. Romans 1, beginning in verse 14, Paul says, I am under obligation, both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, so for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous one shall live by his faith. In verse 14, Paul makes a statement, I am under obligation. Paul feels obligated to the gospel. And what is an obligation? An obligation is a we must do it. Paul saw it as an obligation, and it means we owe it to them. We owe it to them because we are aware, as children of God, we know what lies ahead. Therefore, we owe it to people to help get them out of it. And that's what Paul saw. Kate Shelley felt an obligation to save people. She knew what lie ahead if that locomotive came through there. She knew what lie ahead for the people in the locomotive, just the two people that were lost. She knew what lie ahead for them. And she felt an obligation to do something about it. Paul felt an obligation to share the gospel with Greeks and barbarians, with the wise and the foolish. That's what he would say in this verse. This is his literary way of saying everyone. 
because he knew that without the gospel, everyone was headed for certain doom. And you know, Paul wasn't the first one in Scripture, not even close to the first one that we read that had a feeling like this. Back in the book of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 20 and verse 9, Jeremiah would say it this way. He said, but if I say I will not remember him or speak anymore in his name, then there in me becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in. I cannot endure it. Jeremiah felt this obligation too, and he could not be quiet. Jesus' disciples felt this obligation, and they couldn't be quiet. Jesus, speaking of them, he says, if they were silent, even the rocks would cry out. And the one I really like, over in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John. Things have been going well for the first few days of the church, and then the church grows, and the Jews are jealous, and they're like, these guys are stealing all our thunder. And so they go arrest Peter and John, and they take them before the Sanhedrin. They haven't broken any laws. There's really nothing they can do to them. So they say, well, we'd just appreciate it if y'all had stopped speaking. But I don't think they were that kind about it. So they tried to hush them up. And I think they left the impression, look, if you guys keep talking, yeah, we're going to see to it that you don't talk anymore, whatever that may take whether it's concrete shoes or whatever it was in their contact, they were going to make sure they stopped. And Peter looks to Sanhedrin and says, well, with all due respect, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to, to you rather than God, you're going to have to be the judge. But here's the deal. We can't stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. I hope that can always be our mentality. The world hasn't changed. It's still full of lost souls, one heartbeat away from eternal doom. Now, I know not everyone is a preacher. Every child of God, though, needs to feel an obligation to play a part in helping the lost be rescued from what lies ahead without the gospel. Now, this shouldn't be a because-we-have-to situation. Although Paul knew it must be done, he was not sharing the gospel just out of obligation. Because he goes on in verse 15, and he says, For my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So Paul does not only feel obligated, he is eager to do it. And I think about what eagerness looks like. And there's a level of excitement maybe behind eagerness, but it isn't always accompanied by that. Sometimes it's just this itching, I've got to do it. I've got to get at it. You ever felt like you need to get busy? You're eager to get busy. That's a feeling of eagerness that I think encapsulates what's going on here with Paul. He was eager to preach the gospel. Well, oftentimes people are afraid to approach others and discuss their faith. And I can sympathize with this in, in some context. 
And I think part of this stems from our own reaction to sales tactics. Now, I don't, I don't know how the rest of you are, but when someone is trying to, to push something on me, if somebody's trying to sell me something, there is this immediate guard that goes way up. And I, I demand, like, you're not going to sell me anything. And I want to say, and the more you keep trying, dude, you're just backing up. Yeah, you keep pushing, and I mean, it wouldn't even matter if I wanted it now. I'm not buying. Why? Well, because I tried to tell you no, and you didn't listen. And we know this about people, and we know this about ourselves. And so I tend to wonder maybe if we think, if I'm going to try to share the gospel with someone, that's how they're going to react to me. And so it makes us timid. It makes us not want to do that. So we have to ask the question, how do we get out of that? How can we develop an eagerness to share the gospel? And obviously, this is going to be different for everyone in different contexts. You know, some are already there. Some are already eager to do it. Some fear the confrontation of it. And There's a lot of ways you may feel about it, but one way we can help grow our eagerness for sharing our faith is to place our focus on what the gospel has done for us and think about that and let that soak in for a while and share that with people. For example, I don't know if you ever thought about it this way, but when you break it down, just as simple as you can break it down, we have two unsolvable problems in our life. We can't fix our past, and we can't avoid death. And the gospel fixes both of those. In Romans 4, Romans chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. How good a news is that? God chose. That's that's what justification is. You've sinned. And there's nothing in your power that you can do to erase the fact that you have sinned. But God has decided that in your faith in him, he's not going to count that sin against you. That's what it is to be justified. Only the gospel can do that. But the news gets even better. Because as we continue to make mistakes while we walk with Christ, that blood of Jesus that's in the center of the gospel continues to cover our stumble. First John chapter 1 and verse 7 talks about that. It says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That is the ongoing cleansing of Christian privilege. And when we can confidently own our faith in Christ, and we can realize just where we would be without Him, then I think we can start to develop more of an eagerness to help others find it.
Well, back in Romans 1, verse 16 is probably the most commonly looked at here where Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I am not ashamed. This is an expression of boldness. Kate Shelley showed an unparalleled boldness that stormy night when she crawled across a railroad bridge over a raging river in total darkness. But Paul showed even more boldness when he shared the gospel in the face of brutal persecution. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, passage you're likely familiar with, he talks about some of this. Beginning in verse 24, he tells about himself. He says, five times I received from the Jews 40, uh, 39 lashes. And by the way, that wasn't just a, you know, whipped across the back 39 times with a simple whip. There's a little more to it than that. It would have been an ugly beating. And he goes on, he says, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Night and day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentile, dangers in the city, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor, hardship, many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure of me, concern of my, of, of me, of my concern for all of the churches. And aside from all of this, Paul was even ready, according to Philippians 1, to stay and keep sharing the gospel. He had an unparalleled boldness. And it's a characteristic that is manifested by our obligation and our eagerness. If we know it must be done and we are eager to do it, we will certainly not be ashamed to do it. Well, Kate Shelley was remembered for her heroism that stormy night with a new bridge spanning the entire Des Moines River Valley in 1901, bearing her name. And it still stands to this day, and it remains one of the longest, highest double-track trestles in existence. However, she primarily lived a meager life until her death. She didn't save people that day for the honor of it. She did it because she felt an obligation to do so. Therefore, she was eager to venture into a highly dangerous situation with an unparalleled boldness. Our lives all exist in different contexts. We have different personalities that will manifest obligation, eagerness, and boldness in different ways. Whatever that looks like for you in your context, ask yourself, how do I view the gospel and the need for others to have it? This week, examine your own giftedness and challenge yourself to help someone be rescued from sin and death and find the rescue that only Jesus Christ is able to provide.
Perhaps that's you tonight. Maybe you need to be rescued. Maybe you've not obeyed the gospel. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, the very first day the church is born, Peter reads a quote from the prophet Joel. And that prophecy, he tells the crowd there, he says, what you're seeing today, the beginning of the church, this is what Joel prophesied. You're seeing it happen. Well, that prophecy ends with everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's true. From that day forward, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, what's that mean? How do I call on the name of the Lord? Well, over in Acts 22, we could go through the rest of Acts 2 and it's answered there. But over in Acts 22 and verse 16, Paul at Saul of Tarsus at that time, he'd heard the gospel. He'd been taught by Jesus himself. And Ananias comes along because he knows Paul's not done with the process. And he looks at Paul and he says, Paul, why do you delay? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Back in Acts 2, it was prophesied by Joel that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is fulfilled when you obey the gospel in baptism. If you've not done that, boy, don't leave here tonight without doing it. That is the one thing that can make you certain that you will avoid the doom that awaits sinful humanity. If we can help you in any way this evening, boy, we want to do so. So come let us know as we stand and as we sing.